Well, good evening, church family. It is um, our final Bible class in this series of the Prodigal Family, and it's been a joy. There's a lot. Uh, it was a lot of content. I know it was a long lesson, but I'm thankful to you for giving me this opportunity to to teach it and to uh, think about things that God wants us to, to grasp and understand. It's also, you know, carried along with it um, some some difficult concepts and, and thoughts. And we've, I think, been challenged, and um, I know I have. And, and also we found ourselves to be on one side or the other on the coin. And sometimes you flip the coin and find ourselves on both sides of the coin. But here we are tonight, closing this out with the uh, the final greatness of uh, the Father, uh, the Heavenly Father, and uh, carrying off from what we left off last week. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we thank you. For you are the magnificent and the mighty. Your name, Lord God, is raised above all names. The greatest name that a person can ever say, can ever speak. Thank you for allowing us, Lord God, to even speak your name to be in your presence. We ask, Lord God, that you will bless us as we study tonight another passage of your word. Please guide us into all truth and grant unto us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And help us, Lord God, to be better people today than we've been yesterday and even tomorrow. We praise your holy divine name and thank you in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. It be thy will. Amen. Luke chapter 15 and verse 22 so tonight, it's all about the newness of life. The newness of life. This is it. This is the whole point of this uh, account or parable that uh, has been given to us. But the father said to his slaves, verse 22, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And I can't help but to rejoice in Galatians chapter 3, when I think about the reaction of the father when his son comes, the father is so excited, he grabs the greatest robe and says, put this robe on my son. And I can only imagine that when a person enters into the waters of baptism and comes up out of that water, that Jesus grabs the, the greatest robe and puts it on us. Verse 27 of Galatians chapter 3, For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. The idea of being wrapped up in Jesus, to be wrapped up in God, the proper garment. You know, the wedding feast, uh, someone showed up without the proper garment, and he was thrown out of the wedding feast. But to have the proper garment, to be placed and seated in the proper place because of the greatness and the mercy and the kindness of God, it's pretty exciting. Now, if you will, Colossians chapter 3, um, I want to look at verses... Um, 5 through verse 10. Colossians chapter 3, the verses 5 through verse 10. Listen to what Jesus says about this new man. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices 
and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal uh, in which there is no distinction between uh, Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised. And it goes on to talk about this new man in Jesus Christ, this new clothed son. So the son comes home and he's clothed by the father and he's recognizable, right? Because, um, you know, when he, when he comes, obviously he's, you know, battered and, and bruised and, and et cetera, et cetera, from being out on his own. But now he has this new robe that says, this is my son in whom I have accepted. And one might even say, this is my son and I'm pleased to have him home with me. So the condition of the son, back to Luke 15 and verse 24, is really critical because this is God's message to us. That the condition, the spiritual condition of the son is critical for each of us to recognize because this is the same spiritual condition for all of humanity, both living and dead. This is critical. Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to be merry. Living or dead, the dead first. The dead are either saved or lost. That's their eternal destiny. It cannot be altered, it cannot be changed. The judgment of God for that individual, a judgment in time, has taken place. So the lost are lost for eternally, eternity. And the saved are saved for eternity. The living. The living are in one of two states, either saved or lost. And while we're alive, we have an opportunity to, if we're lost, become the saved. If we're saved, become the lost. If we're lost, we can turn our lives around. If we're saved, we can remain holy and true to God. But the decision is yours and no one else's. And those are the only two conditions that a person can be in. And I know that we speak often about a person. We say, well, this person is a good person. But Jesus says, call no man good. For there's only two conditions in life. Man's either saved or he's lost. And there is no other. There are no gray areas. And there's nothing that we can do to cause the lost to be saved or the saved to be lost. For only God has that in his hands. But I want to show you the condition of man, and how God made man who was lost saved. And only God can do that. And we want to encourage people. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We want to encourage people to turn their lives around from a lost condition and come to Jesus. Lostness. Remember, that was the beginning of the opening of this particular uh, parable. It's about lostness, right? Being saved or being lost. Those are the two conditions of life. Verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them 
we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You see, this was the state of the Gentile uh, area of Ephesus, and the Gentiles as well as the Jews, that all of humanity have been in this position where we have been dead because of our sins. In other words, if you think about this, it's like kind of you think about the states of mankind. There's the, the, the state of a man that is child, rather, that grows up. And that child, that infant, is in a pure state because of God's grace and mercy and because God decides in his own mind that this child, this innocent child, will not be held accountable for sin. But then there comes a point when that child grows to a certain age, whatever age God has determined, and that child becomes now accountable for sin. And then that child sins. And that child or, or teenager or whomever it may be, the young man, the young woman who sins, finds himself in a position at this point of being lost, of being dead, and having the opportunity that every other human being has, an opportunity to move from a state of being lost to a state of being saved. Now this individual that grows up outside of Christ uh, is a child of wrath, if you will, as the text says, children of wrath. At one time, to think about it, every person that's reached the age of accountability has come to that point to be a child of God's wrath outside of Christ. Think about that. That I, Tony Cloud, was at one time a child of God's wrath. There was nothing I could do to fix that. There was no payment I could make. There was no bargaining chips that I could use. But there was this great plan that God has set in order where God has made an opportunity for humanity to move from the state of being lost to a state of being found. Remember the prodigal son as he was walking down the road? The father looked up and he saw him. And he was happy. He felt compassion. God feels compassion for the lost soul. But let's continue about lostness. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that you, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Two states. Without God. Without hope. Children of wrath. Only God could fix it. And how did God do that? Well, we know the prophecy begins in Genesis 3.15 that's written to us. But we know the actual plan existed in the mind of God within the creation at some point from the days of eternity, that God had a plan set knowing that if he made humanity, he would have to die for us, but we would die lost without the grace and mercy of God. And so verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, but, so but is a coordinate conjunction, and it denotes a difference, right? So thank God for but, right? But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that the ages to come, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So imagine this. That mankind moves from a wrathful state to a saved state because of, by and through, the amazing grace of God. And God had to be rich in this grace because that's a lot of sin. When you think of all of humanity, from the very beginning, from Adam all the way into the last man that lives on the face of the earth, it is the amazing grace of God, the richness of God in his grace and splendor and power that he was willing to save humanity because of his great love. The love that he has for us in spite of the fact that we find ourselves sinning, we find ourselves repeating the same action, we find ourselves doing things we ought not do, but God is so rich in mercy that he's always, if you will, based on the parable, if you will, making it uh, uh, God looking out instead of the father, prodigal father looking out, that God is always looking out to bring the sinner home. How beautiful, right? How beautiful. The problem is the sinner doesn't always want to come home. But when a sinner wants to come home, God is rich in grace and mercy and willing to save. Verse 8, here's the purpose then. So this young man now, the prodigal, has a new purpose as his father has put on the best robe. And we, leaving in the world and coming to Jesus, have a newfound purpose in life. In verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not as a result of works that no one should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so God made us products of his grace now here's what's supposed to happen the excitement and the joy of knowing that I once was a child of wrath But God, who was rich in mercy and grace, saved me, unmerited favor. And there was no work that I could do to save myself. It was nothing that I could boast about. I couldn't pat myself on the back and say, look at what I've done. It strictly was based on the grace and mercy of our great and powerful God. It was a gift to us. And so then becomes the joy, if you will, in our hearts that we have been saved. We once were lost, but now we are saved. And so that purposeful living changes. Now it's, I am excited to be alive because I'm alive in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's what makes evangelism uh, easy, less challenging. When you recognize how much grace God used to save you in particular, to save me in particular, the grace that God used to save me, though I wasn't worthy of it. And all I did was turn my life to God, and God was willing to receive me. What an amazing position to find ourselves in as God's people. Ephesians 4, now, if you will, over at verse 20 through verse 24, we are products of God's grace. And verse 20, it says, But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. 
and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. So there's this new creation, this new walk about me, right? Um, we are a peculiar people. There's something different about me. I'm more uh, excited or ecstatic about life because I have a purpose every day. When I look at the contrast and think about the contrast that is made in Luke 15, I realize that at one point I was on the on one side of the fence. But now by the grace of God, I'm on the other side of the fence. Turn to Luke chapter 15. At one time, I would have been like the Pharisees and the scribes, grumbling because I have no hope. Because, because uh, you know, God is the opposite of what I would want God to be. Because I thought I ought to be in control. And I wanted to be in control of my life. But by surrendering to God, I find myself on the other side of the coin. Where there's this rich grace and mercy. And I recognize through my repentance that I do not deserve what God has done for me. But he's been so good to each and every one of us. And he always will be. And so in verse 24 of Luke 15, the contrast. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. I'm going to ask you a really pointed question. Let me read the verse and then all that will come off the screen and we'll come back to this question. He was lost and has been found and they began to be married. All right, I'm going to come back to that one. And so you can go back with Judy in a second. Question. How many fathers who have wayward children are willing to say, my son is spiritually dead? That's a tough one. How many fathers are willing to say, my daughter is spiritually dead? This father was willing because he was was thinking about this this kid's soul. He was lost. My son was spiritually dead. If that doesn't put the fire under a father who loves their children, we got to save our children. It's a mother and a father's responsibility to help the child to recognize when they've walked away from God. As it pains our hearts to say, son, daughter, you are spiritually dead. And I want you to be saved. I want you to repent so that I can rejoice with the Heavenly Father. Because there's only two states that a human being can be in. Either saved or lost. And that child that that comes back to God or stays true to God. That child that's in the Lord. Verse 24, again. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again, and he was lost and has been found, and they began to be merry. Verse 32. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live was lost and has been found. It wasn't that we're just merry or happy. 
We have to be. Because God is happy. Because heaven is rejoicing. Because it's a beautiful thing. Repentance is beautiful. Because of the state of man who was lost, but now has been found. I want to look at uh, Romans chapter 6. This is a message of, of, of the grace of God, the compassion of God for people who have died. And, and you know, these people who have died can come back to life. For I once was dead and have come back to life. For you once were dead and have come back to life. And you look around the world, there are so many who are dead that have not come back to life. And maybe we have an opportunity to go and save them, to teach them the message of Jesus. Listen to Romans 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall be also in the likeness of of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is a master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Once was dead, but through the waters of baptism, the man, that old man that is alive right now, physically, has to die. Has to go down into the spiritual waters, if you will, the physical water, but go down into the watery grave, And have their sins washed away by the greatness of God. And then be renewed, resurrected, given a gift, the Holy Spirit. Somewhere in this baptismal process. And be renewed, sins forgiven forever, added to the church of Christ. A member of the Lord's body and saved. And then we have to rejoice. Because heaven rejoices over one sinner and over the ninety-nine. You see... The, the glory of this of this account is when you think about people, it doesn't matter who the person is. It's God who does the saving. I mean, if you were living and walking in the days of the apostles, imagine coming across, stumbling across the apostle Paul before he was the apostle Paul. <laughs> and he's just been added to the body of Christ. And you say, no way, I'm not going to accept him. That was the problem the early church had. I mean, I understand that. I think you would too. He didn't know if he really was a perpetrator, if he was a perpetrator, or if he really came to the Lord. If he's ready to cut your head off, or if he's going to drag you off all the, into prison, or was he really a brother in Christ? But regardless of what anyone felt or thought about Paul, God added him to the body of Christ. He was a brother, right? 
And finally, they received him, and all things worked out well. My point is, never but judge a book by its cover when it comes to evangelism, right? When it comes to teaching the lost, you know, it's not for us to look out and, and judge an individual and think to ourselves, well, that person may, be, may one day come to God. Who would have gone to the prodigal son in the pig pen or, or in the parties or the clubs or wherever he was when he was doing those things and living that lifestyle and thought, oh, he's a shoe in for Christ. No one would have ever thought that about him. But that man had a repentant heart and having a repentant heart, he came to the Lord, he humbled himself, he surrendered, and God saved him. Back to Luke, please. Luke chapter 15. So just like the father in the, in the prodigal uh, story that we're reading right now, the account, God has his eyes on us for the purpose of saving us. And if we go astray, God is ready and willing and able to receive us back. In other words, there is no sin that any individual has ever committed in this life that God will not forgive. There's not one, right? I mean, there, I, I remember a, a man, he was an older man, who said, I've, I've committed sins that are unforgivable. And, and we, you know, we didn't ask necessarily, well, what are those sins? You know, we just said, there is no sin that God will not forgive. And so it's important and it's imperative that if you've strayed from Christ, turn your life around and repent and come back to the Lord. Now, Luke 15, verse 20. Verse 20 says, And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father's response, he sees his son at a distance. He runs toward his son. With open arms, he hugs and holds his son. He kisses his son, whom he's missed in love. He accepts his son. He forgave his son. He put a robe. The best robe on his son. He put a ring on his hand. He put shoes on his feet. He celebrated his return. And then he did something else. He educated. He educated his son. Verse 24. This son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. As he speaks to the audience, he educates him. And he says, son, you were dead. Don't go out there anymore. You were dead. But now you have been found. God's love is so abundant. His mercy that he shows is so great, so magnificent. I mean, there aren't even words that we can use to... Uh, properly articulate the idea of the greatness of God's love that triumphs over judgment, right? I mean, here I am guilty, but God is willing to forgive me if I just come back and repent and ask for, and ask for forgiveness and confess my sins. And God is always ready and willing and able. And I, and I, I think of Luke 16, because it's the very next parable he goes into. And, and, he's, 
in Luke 16, he goes from uh, the, this parable to the righteous steward, uh, and then he, you know, dealing with them because they love money. And he gets down to chapter, I mean, verse 19. And this is a, a very, you know, it's one of those positive negative texts, right? Meaning it's positive for the, uh, for, for Lazarus, but it's negative for the rich man. In verse 22 of Luke 16, it, it's an amazing passage because listen to what it says. Now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And I want you to think about what that looks like. That when we die and the angel comes to get us and takes us to the open and loving arms of the Father. That's exciting, isn't it? Think about that, right? And and God sees us coming from a distance from the earth up to heaven. And 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 he you know, using imagery, he he runs toward us and he and he hugs us and, and Jesus kisses us. And the Father accepts us and forgives us, puts a robe on us, the heavenly garment the Bible speaks of. Figuratively speaking, puts a ring on our fingers and puts shoes on our feet and says, you once were dead, but now you're saved. What, what, an, what an amazing, what an amazing thought. So just think about being able to be safe in the arms of Jesus. Turn to Psalm, please, 100. Psalm chapter 100. And I would like to look actually at the entire chapter. It's only five verses, but um, listen to what the Bible reads. The Bible says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. I get really excited when I think about uh, that amazing gift of heaven. You know, what God has, has for us. Waiting. I go to prepare a place for you. And he's talking to Peter and the apostles and he's speaking to everyone through the passage of John 14. He wants all of us to know there is a place prepared for each one of us. And upon our passing, leaving this earth, if we leave in a saved state, God has something beautiful and glorious waiting for us. I want to look at Psalm 136. Psalm 136. The mercy the compassion, the loving kindness of God is from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods for His loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for His loving kindness is everlasting. To him alone who does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, 
for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To think that God made all of this for us. All this beauty, he made it for us. What do you think heaven is going to look like? Think about that. Okay, let's begin to close and wrap this up. Back to Luke 15. Heaven will be, as it is, something that is unspeakable. It is an indescribable gift that God has made for us. And while we live on this earth, we will not comprehend the beauties of what the Lord has made for us. But in this account, there's this amazing joy that happens because of one man who turned his life around and came back to Jesus. Verse 31. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. You know what he's saying in essence? In essence, he's saying, you know, regardless of what goes on in this life, regardless of what goes on in this world, regardless of how long our brother or sister's gone and comes back, regardless of how long I've been gone and have returned, don't be short-sighted in your life and in your living. Remember always the big picture. The big picture is, There are only two states that we can find ourselves in, the saved or the lost. And the encouragement in this lesson is stay righteous. Stay righteous. But if you find yourself straying, remember verse 7 and verse 10. Verse 7 says in Luke 15, I tell you that in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Remember, if you find yourself strained, or perhaps you have strayed, make heaven joyful. Repent, for today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time to come to Christ. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to turn to Acts 11. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus in baptism, today is the day. Now is the time. Having heard his word, you believed it, You hear it and you believe it and you hear it and you believe it. And then you decide what you're going to do. You know, I believe it. Now I'm going to change or I'm not going to change. And we encourage you to change. Repent. Turn your life around and confess his name. And be buried with him in the waters of baptism. Let the old man die and the new man come to life. And live with Jesus by the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life. 
And what a joy it is to be a child of God. And if you are already a child of God, again, and you have strayed, don't allow pride to keep you from repentance. Turn your life around. Come to heaven. Come to God. And remember that when you come back to God, you know what's happening in heaven. There's joy in heaven. And brethren, let it also be spoken of in our midst that when a, when a sinner returns their lives around or a member of the body of Christ turns their lives around and comes back to the Lord, let there be joy in our midst and our presence always. I close this series out in Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. As the struggle and the conflict began amongst the apostles and amongst the disciples about what do you do with the Gentiles? And God proved, God showed the Gentiles have been accepted and are worthy of being saved by the grace and mercy of God. And then comes the statement in verse 18. And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And that's the repentance that leads to life that God has granted to each and every one of us as well. May God bless you. If there's anything that we can do, please contact us. Let us know. And we'll be there to help in any way that we can. And if you are ready to surrender to God, please make it known. Make it known before it's everlasting. Too late. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you.